Hi, this is Pastor James Strickland, and you are listening to our sermon cast for Homeland Park Baptist Church. We're going to be in Mark 10. This is our second week, maybe two or three more weeks, just because it is such a big chapter. But you know what? Companies, they spend billions of dollars every year in something called advertising. That's something that gets me. If if you have a favorite television show that you watch, more than likely, unless you pay extra to not see commercials, in an hour show, you may have 40 minutes of actual show and then 20 minutes of commercials. And I don't know why it is. Maybe it's because the older that you get, it seems like in the daytime, everything is about medicine. You need this and you need that. And then at night, it's all about the stuff that you do in nightlife. But there's no doubt that there are billions of dollars spent in researching how what it takes to get their product in front of you. And they want you to think, unless you have this product, you don't know what full life is. Well, many work more hours while sacrificing their time with God and their family and friends just to get for themselves just a little bit more. And sometimes people will say, well, I'm doing it for my family. When actually you're probably doing it for your family and uh, yourself. But it's a vicious cycle, my friend, to try to, as I used to say, keep up with the Joneses. I don't know why they settled the, or um, called out the Joneses for that. But evidently the Joneses were the people we tried to keep up with. But Jesus warns us in today's passage not to let those things that you own, own you. Let me say that one more time. Jesus, the, the purpose of this passage today is to get us to not let the things that we own, own us. You say, well, preacher, that's okay because I don't own anything. The bank owns everything I got. You know, uh, especially when, when you're younger and maybe even when you're older now, it seems like you always are going to have a house payment. You're probably going to have a vehicle payment. Some of you have student loans that you're still paying back. It just it goes on and on and on. But today is not about how much you have in your garage or what you drive or how many uh, items of clothes you have in your closet. Today, we must realize the destructive power of possessions and make adjustments today. And I want to go ahead and say a disclaimer Just because you have possessions does not mean that you are evil. You can have a lot and struggle with money, and you can have very little and struggle, as Jesus says, the love of money. But this whole lesson is not all about money. It's a bigger issue. So as we look into our scriptures today, we're going to see that the first thing in verses 13 through 16 is that power is found in receiving Jesus like a child. Power is found in receiving Jesus like a child, starting with chapter 10, verse 13. And if you don't have a copy of God's Word, there's one in the pew in front of you, or you can use your phone. We have the outline on the Bible.com app, or you can just listen along. But it says in verse 13, One day some parents brought their children to Jesus so he could touch and bless them. But the disciples, and I think that's ironic, but the disciples scolded the parents for bothering him. When Jesus saw what was happening, he was angry with his disciples. He said to them, let the children come to me and don't stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to these children. 
And then here's where Jesus breaks it down. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. He then took the children in his arms and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Folks, there is a lot to unpack even in these few short verses. And so the first thing that we see here is that were these children a blessing or were they a bother? Were these children a blessing or were they a bother? And basically what you see here is the parents were bringing the children to Jesus. We've done something similar to that at our church and we're, we're overdue for another one because God has blessed our families with, with more children. But baby, I mean, basically this is a baby dedication. This is the parents bringing the children to Jesus and saying, please, Bless our child. It's not for their salvation. It's not that they are going to have eternal life because they were blessed by Jesus at a young age. But it does mean that we believe in Jesus. We believe that he is God's son. And if he has anything for my child, we would like for him to bless our child. Now, when it says that the parents brought their children to Jesus, the term brought is much more than just the act of putting them in the car and taking them to church, or in their case, the act of putting on their shoes and walking to where Jesus was. The term brought was actually a term that that kind of meant, it, it dealt with sacrifice, it dealt with worship. And so when they were bringing their children to Jesus, that was a part of them. They were they were saying that this child is no longer my child. He's yours, Jesus. And we will raise him. We will love him. We will love her. We will do all of these things. But may you please bless this child. This was an act of worship for the children. And when we have families that stand before many churches, and, and even in this church, and the families will come up here, and they will have their beautiful babies and, and their their family up here, and they will dedicate them, that is not... We don't think that that's going to save that child, but we do know this. We do know that the parents have realized that everyone in this church is praying for them. Everything that we do as a church is trying to help them as a family and to help that child grow up. And most of all, the family has said, look, we are not perfect, but we are doing our best as God has allowed us to raise these children in the Lord's way. And they're still doing that. And so this is, this was a blessing for Jesus. And we see here that, that the children, they love Jesus. Here in this passage, it says the children ran to Jesus and he picked some of them up and began teaching everyone about having the faith of a child to enter the kingdom. He actually took the children and placed his hands on their heads and blessed them. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this. But especially young children, not all of them like people. Not all of them are outgoing. Not all of them want to be bright-eyed and cheered. And there are some that I don't see how, but some of them do not like sitting on Santa's lap. Or uh, I, I remember uh, Phyllis, your daughter, always posts every Easter the picture of, <laughs> of your granddaughters being scared of that Easter bunny. And I think it's the funniest thing in the world. But it's true. And so the thing is, is that these children, they were not threatened by Jesus. 
They ran to him. Jesus picked them up and he said, look, unless you come into the kingdom like this child, then you will not receive eternal life. But of all people to have a problem with this, of all the ones to say something to Jesus, it was the disciples. They're saying, Jesus, why are you bothering with these little kids? Believe it or not, back in the day, children had no place in society. They were to stay with their parents. They were to stay at home. They were to work in the fields. And they were, they were basically hands that were, were created to help the family. But as far as being a joy and people wanting them around, that was not the case back then. It was true for children. And unfortunately, it was true for women in that day. There was very, they just wanted the children to be seen but not heard let alone being pushed to the front of the crowd and Jesus taking time to bless them. You see, here's the thing. Jesus was criticized often for hanging out with the wrong people. He hung out with children, with tax collectors, with sinners, and with non-Jews, or the Bible says Gentiles. And what makes this worse, my friends, is that Jesus' own disciples were correcting him. Who in the world has the right to tell Jesus who he can and cannot reach out to? Who are you and I to say that Jesus, there's no hope for that person? That person has gone off the edge. There's no return for that guy. If we have condemned that person, we have actually condemned ourselves. Because God and Jesus, they are free to love whomever they want to love. There is no wrong person for Jesus to reach out to. And he may very well use you to do it. But we need to drop our biases and our preferences. Please don't be like the disciples. They had a moment here. They had a selfish moment. And so please do not be the religious bigot that thinks some people are not worth Jesus' time nor Jesus' love. But those who serve God by serving children are doing kingdom work. Parents, you are the ultimate pastor for your family and for your church. Yes, I as a pastor and those that are involved in children's ministries and, and teaching your children, we have, we are, we have our part in that. But at the end of the day, we will be accountable for what we taught. But the overall accountability for the child will be on the mom and dad. The Bible is clear that spiritual formation of your children is just as much of your responsibility as their physical growth and their education. And right now there are leaders who are teaching God's Word to your children. Some of you even are sitting and you are on a rotation that you do that, maybe not today, but on another day. But someone is teaching your child or a child in this church about Jesus and His love. And to you, I say thank you. And to you, I say you are doing kingdom work, not only for your children, but every child that comes through here. Reaching children is paramount. They have their whole lives to learn about God, about what he wants to do in and through them. Now, here's the thing. You would think that the purpose of Jesus saying this is because we need to come to come to Jesus as a child, as, as innocent and as you know, as needy. But the truth of the matter is, is that the point of this passage was not that we need to approach Jesus 
as a humble and innocent child. Those of you who have raised children or worked with them, you know that children are often not humble and they are not innocent. They're sneaky little boogers sometimes. Sometimes they will get into the cabinets when you tell them not to. They will find the cookies even after you hide them. And when you tell them, do not do that, that is the very thing that they want to do. They're children. They're testing the boundaries, and I understand that. But so Jesus is not talking about that nature. What he is saying is that children are needy. Children are receivers. You see, children do not say, you know what, Mom, you know what, Dad? I'll work as hard as I can just to earn my milk today. You know, if I'll be as good as I can, I'll do all my chores so I can have my, my, my meal at the end of the day. And if I'm good enough, maybe you'll take care of me today, Mommy. Maybe you'll take care of me, Daddy. No, they don't do that. Children are needy. They are given to you because you are there to raise them and to nurture them. They need you even when they become teenagers and they don't think they need you. Children are needy. They are receivers. They are not earners. And so Jesus is saying to the disciples and to all of those that are around that if you really want eternal life, it's not about what you do for me. It's about coming to me and receiving like a child what I have for you. And the reason we know that this is the case for this interpretation is because of what we see in the next passage. Almost in perfect fashion, Jesus uses the next lesson to show the direct opposite of what coming to Jesus as a child means. So let's read verses 17 through 27. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The term good teacher is really important, and we'll talk about that in just a minute. Jesus says, Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly truly good. But to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. And you must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. <laughs> so get this. This is a guy that's got everything. He is religious. He is. He would probably be the, the picture-perfect guy today for someone to say, well, what's a perfect church member? Oh, that guy is. He's wealthy. He gives to the poor. He helps. He knows the Bible like everything. But yet, here he is. He's got everything that he wants, but he still wants to know how to get eternal life. So as we start breaking down some of these passages... When the man calls him good teacher, what must I do to inherit life? It's not like saying, man, Alex, you are really good at playing the piano. Because you are. You're great at playing the piano. Donna, you're really good at singing. You really are. And you look so pretty doing it. I had to put that in there. But all joking aside, good is a compliment, right? But when... And and this time when this was written and when this was said, for this rich young man to call Jesus a teacher and a good teacher, it had the implication that this teacher was perfect. 
And so if you were a rabbi or a teacher back in that day, no one would call you good because no teacher would consider themselves sinless. So what this rich young ruler or rich young man does, without him even knowing it, he has just bestowed upon Jesus the title of the sinless teacher. And it couldn't have been any more accurate. This man asked, what must I do? The focus of the rich man was, first of all, that he had everything. And number two, how do I add this to my life? Be very careful that you don't, you don't kind of gloss over this. Many of us are here today and, and we are, and I'm thankful that everybody is here on Sunday. But what are you doing with Jesus on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday and Thursday, Friday and Saturday? Jesus is not a part of our life. We don't compartmentalize him and put him out only on Sundays. He is a part of our daily life. But yet this man says, of all the stuff I have, I want to add eternal life to my bucket of stuff. And Jesus says, why do you call me good? In verse 18, why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is true. Now, there are some people, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, when they take this verse, they say, uh-huh. I told you Jesus was a fraud. I've told you Jesus is a liar. Because when you look at this passage, even Jesus himself is questioning his goodness. There are people that interpret it that way. But I will tell you, they're wrong. Because if you read it in context, when he says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked, only God is true. Jesus knew he was good. But he wanted to hear from the rich young man, why the rich young man was calling him good. It was not that he was doubting his goodness. He was trying to find out where this guy was on the spectrum of, does he trust me? Does he know who I am? Does he really want eternal life? Or how serious is he about this? It said in verse 19, but to answer your question, you know the commandments. You must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anymore, honor the father and mother. The man replied, I've obeyed all these commands since I was young. Boy, he was bowing his chest out. Man, I got you, Jesus. All those things you listed, I've never done those things. I've never murdered anybody, I've never committed adultery, and I've never stole anything. And I've never told a lie. I've never cheated, and I honor my father and mother. I am the poster boy of what you're looking for, Jesus. He was very proud of himself. And look at this in verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. Now, this is not like the southern phrase when you look at somebody and go, Oh, bless their heart. You know what bless their heart means, don't you? Bless their heart means he doesn't have a clue. She doesn't have a clue. This was not Jesus brushing off this man. This man, Jesus looked at him and he loved him and he sincerely replied to the man with genuine love. There is still one thing you haven't done. He told me or he told him, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasures in heaven then come follow me. We have got a truck out back for you to put all your stuff in, and you're welcome to sell it after the church. No, don't worry. I'm not going to do that. That wasn't even funny, was it? 
The preacher's going to start talking about my stuff. I ain't selling nothing. I hear people, hey, does Jesus really mean this? For this guy, he really meant that. And I'm going to unpack that just for a minute. Notice it says, go and sell your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, and only then, come and follow me. And what does it say in verse 22? At this the man's face fell and he went away sad. For he had many possessions. The rich young man had all the right answers, but he lacked the heart to receive Jesus. The rich young man had all the right answers, but lacked the heart to receive Jesus. The rich young man was happy to answer that he kept all the Ten Commandments. And being a Jew, he knew what those commandments would be. But do not miss the fact that it said Jesus loved this rich young ruler. He was not being mean to this guy. He knew what the guy's greatest need was. Because there are many people just like the rich young ruler today. Their garages are in their houses are filled with stuff and tons of worldly success, but none of that can buy eternal life. When it says go and sell your possessions, people say, well, do, do, if, some people think if you are a Christian, you must do this. That Christians must take a vow of poverty. That is not what Jesus is saying. And Jesus is not saying, there is nowhere in Scripture, show me where it is, where if you sell all your possessions and give it to charity, then that is your earning act for salvation. It's not. If you sell all of your things, everything that you have, and give it to charity, the charity will be very grateful, but it will not earn you one step closer to eternal life. So why is Jesus being so harsh? The scripture tells us that the young man had kept those commandments. Jesus mentioned since childhood. And Jesus did a great job of showing us that because you can keep the letter of the law, you can still be guilty of the sin it intended to stop. Now, I'm going to meddle for a minute, okay? If you've ever done machine work, the drill press is coming down for a minute on my heart and yours too. When we first read this, we say, whew, I'm glad he's not talking about me. I've never killed anybody. I've never told a lie. If you said that, then that's your first lie. But Jesus took this, and if you go back later and you can look at the Sermon on the Mount, what I mean is, is this rich young ruler kept the letter of the law. It said, you do not do this. And so he said, literally, I have not done this. But yet Jesus, in the Sermon on the Mount, He takes it one step further and says it's not about the letter of the law. It is about the intent behind it. For example, in Matthew 5, 21, says you may not have murdered someone, but if you have been angry with them to the point of treating them as they are dead to you, then that is the same as murdering them. Again, the intent. Just like it says, man, if you look at a woman lustfully, then you have already committed adultery in your heart. Again, it's not about the letter of the law. It is about the intent. And so the reason Jesus is telling him that he has to sell all of these things, Jesus challenged the man's theory by saying, if you want to keep all the rules, here's the one 
you have failed to keep. <laughs> he says, okay, Junior, you're batting a thousand. You're doing good. You had all the right answers. But now, if you want to continue on your streak, then sell everything and then you'll be good. And the man walked away sad. What was Jesus showing him? He was showing him that it is impossible, and I say impossible, to inherit eternal life by keeping every Old Testament law. And I would tell you, as we live in today's world, it is impossible to, to gain eternal life by attending a, a, a worship service. It is impossible to gain eternal life by staying at home and reading your Bible every now and then. It is impossible. The only way that we inherit eternal life is by accepting Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And I'll go ahead and tell you, for this rich young ruler, it was his possessions. But I'm going to go ahead and tell you, if there is one thing, and I mean just one thing, that you're holding back from God to keep from selling out to him and turning your life over to him, that is the one thing that he wants. Because that thing has set up itself as an idol in your heart. And then he says, then come follow me. There is nothing that the rich man had that would gain him eternal life. And he went away sad. So now, here's where it gets even better. The disciples are watching all this. First of all, they saw the baby dedication. Now they see... Jesus ripping into this rich young ruler, challenging both of them. And so the disciples, you know what they're saying? So what does that mean for us? Do we need to come to him like a child? Or what about all the riches we're going to get because we are following you, Jesus, and we're going to be part of this new world reign that you're going to have? The disciples were hoping to get wealthy and worldly power when Jesus established his kingdom on that day. And we are like the disciples. We have a hard time seeing how riches could hinder us from the kingdom of God. You see, back in the day, the thought was, if you were rich, then you were spiritual. That's not the day. But the truth of the matter is, is that they thought if someone was rich, then God was blessing them, and they are spiritual. And my friends, you've got to be very careful. There's something called prosperity gospel that says, if, you, if your faith is strong enough, then your bank account will reflect it. If you give Jesus a dollar, he'll give you back a thousand. Be careful of those people, folks. Jesus does not endorse that. As a matter of fact, he speaks against it here. And riches make us content. Riches make us content in this world to never long for the world to come. What do I mean by that? I know many of you will probably say, Woo, preacher, I thought you were going to preach to me today, but luckily you're preaching to everybody else because I'm not rich. I don't have a lot of possessions. And I, I'm, I'll come to Jesus as a child. I, I'm okay. And I haven't killed anybody. I haven't told a lie. I hadn't done, I, you know, this was a good message, Jesus, but I, I'm glad you, you must have meant it for somebody. You must have meant it for the person that was sitting around me. No. This is a message that hits all of us. And many of you would say, well, preacher, I'm not rich. It's no problem. No money, no problems, right? It's not like that. You're not rich. Neither am I. But let me ask you something. How many of you came here today in a vehicle? How many of you here today woke up in a house with heating and air? 
How many of you were able to put ice in your drinks the last time you had a soda? When's the last time you looked at your closet and had only one thing to pull out of it? When is the last time you had to sleep on a dirt floor? When is the last time you had to walk everywhere you went? Yo, we may not be rich in the eyes of the Western world, but I'm going to go ahead and tell you what. Every one of us in here have it, has it better than somebody else. There will be people that would consider you rich today, my friends. I think for sure when Mark was writing this and he saw where we are today, he would consider us just like the rich people that he's writing about here. You see, wealth is relative to the world you live in. You may not be rich in your eyes, but to someone else, you are. And then the third thing that we see is that the true power of Jesus' blessings is measured by eternity, not the here and now. The true power of Jesus' blessings is measured by eternity, not the here and now. Let's read verses 28-31. Verse 28 says, Then Peter began to speak up. We've given everything to follow you, he said. I love Peter because he is so impulsive. And Peter is only saying what all the other disciples are thinking. He is saying, well, Jesus, what's in it for us? If we're not going to get rich, we're not supposed to be rich, and we're supposed to come to you as a child, and you're spending time with a child when you could be spending it with other political leaders that could benefit your cause. So, so what do you want from us? Unlike the rich young man, they did leave their jobs, their possessions, and their life plan to follow Jesus. What they began to see and did not realize until Jesus' crucifixion and ascension is that their honor was not only going to be here on earth, it would be in heaven. I mean, think about it. We're, we're, we're reading the letters that they wrote. We are, we are studying them. Many of them were the, the pillars that started the church of Jesus Christ, which is why we are here today. And then verse 29 says, Yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up a house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or property for my sake, for the good news, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now will be the least important then. And those who seem least important now will be the greatest then. Again, when he says that you'll get back a hundred times fold, this is not an investment strategy. But what it does mean is that whatever you give to God, God will return his best. Now, I'm going to meddle for a little minute on the, on the tithing thing just for a minute. Because the thing is, with tithing, is that I know it's an act of a heart. I, I never sit down with anybody and tell people what they need to tithe. It's between them and the Lord, whether you give a dollar or a hundred or whatever. That's between you and the Lord. But the, I can tell you this fact, and this is a fact that you can take it to the bank. You will never, ever Ever outgive God with your money and with your time 
and with your talents and your resources. You want to know why? You will never outgive God because God will never owe you anything. God gives you His best every single time. You may not know it at the time, but He does. It means that God will give you His best and that you can never outgive Him. And then, first is last and the last is first. We've heard that line before. Now, all of y'all going to be tested. Though. How many of y'all are going out to eat after this? Come on, raise your hand. Participate. No, two people are going out to eat. I know that's a lot. All right, there you go. We got a few honest people. Try this out. You're sitting down at your favorite restaurant. You came in, you got your, your plate, I mean your, your table. The waitress comes and takes your order. Somebody else comes in, they sit beside you, the waitress takes their order. And you wait, and you wait, and you wait. And you've been to church, you sang the songs, you read the scriptures, you took notes, you did, you did everything you should at church. But then all of a sudden you realize something, that waitress brought their food out first. Hold on a minute, Jesus. I was here first. And Jesus says, the first will be last and the last will be first. I would tell you, my friend, I don't know why that person got their food before you, but you just be grateful that you're a place where you can get food. And the truth of the matter is we know in parables like the parable of the talents, the servants, and the vineyard workers, those kinds of passages, we can tell that when God pays and, and he gives us his blessings, they're not always in a way that we think is fair, but God never sells anybody short. He always gives them more than they bargain for. The true power of Jesus' blessings is measured by eternity, not the here and now. Look, you can go take the, the polls and, and the... the um, the statistics and the censuses and all those things, and you can compare yourself to what everybody else in your field makes and how much money you got and if you're going to be able to make it through retirement until you go to the ground and then go to heaven, all of these great things. You can measure all of that stuff, but the true measure of our things will not be what's in our garage, but it will be what's in our hearts. Do not let the seduction of your possessions and pride Destroy the relationship Jesus wants to have with you. That is, summing up this passage this morning. That if there is anything, whether it be a physical thing or an emotion or something that you can't let go of, do not let the seduction of that thing destroy your relationship with Jesus and the one that he wants to have with you. The rich young ruler did let that destroy his chances. Don't be that guy. Whatever you treasure more than a deep, intimate relationship with Jesus that involves serving him, I hope you enjoy it now, and I hope it's worth it. Don't approach Jesus today as someone who needs to earn his love. Approach him as a child that simply wants to receive it. And Jesus warns us in today's passage to not let those things that you own, own you. Please, whatever you do today, if your faith is in your possessions, please don't let it 
take you down and keep you. Don't let the power of those things keep you from the power that Jesus wants to give to you in your life. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, and he's called you today to give up some things to follow him, I pray that you do that. You can do it right where you are. You can come forward. We can pray together. Maybe you want to join this church. Maybe you want to get baptized. Maybe you just want to pray at the altar. Whatever your decision is for this time of invitation, it's time for you to respond. Would you please stand as we sing our Lord's hymn of invitation?